0: 5 o'clock on the Blitz, work is over, it's time to let that bird fly, free that bird boys. Tulsa, happy Monday, it is another edition of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app, I am Colby Daniels. Along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin, Scott File on the other side of the glass, in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio, Dusty Dvorak coming up later this hour. But right now, we say hello to John Holcomb. John, how are you on this Monday, my friend? Boy,
1: I've, I feel like uh, I can exhale now because I was keeping a close eye on those uh, the OSU women's tennis team against Michigan in that indoor national championship final in Seattle, and I w- it was getting so tight in that match. It was like I was watching my girls play again and uh <laughs> I did need you know you, you, Jeremy was just talking about uh, improving yourself just a couple <laughs> of minutes ago yes. and I feel like that, that perhaps uh I need to go exercise or something now. <laughs> but uh tight match great for the OSU women. That's that's two very close matches against Michigan. And a possible preview of what could be coming
2: your way outdoors in Stillwater in May. Very nice. Very nice. And overall, from an athletic standpoint, you get that today. And then how, what the women's softball team went out and did at UCLA after a close game early on. But, uh, you know, run rule UCLA at Westwood, that's that's pretty impressive. And lo and behold, you look up and they're at the top of the rankings. And I know first weekend of the season and what Oklahoma did. but. OU1, Texas 2, and Oklahoma State 4. We're in for what seems to be, at least right now, another banger of a softball season yeah. here in the state. You, you, you describe it that way. What's that Big
1: 12 softball tournament going to be like? I mean, everybody <laughs> yes. talks about the World, Women's World uh, Championship, the World the Championship Series. But uh, yeah, it's great, great weekend for both softball teams. And. Today, this this is just another step. It couldn't be happier, really, for Chris Young, who uh, obviously OSU had the outdoor national championship set, and then COVID screwed it up. Thanks a lot, COVID. <laughs> and uh, now you get it back. You know, the patience and the recruiting class is uh, is something pretty special. It appears.
0: Have you uh, have you given Papa a hug yet? I did
1: ask him how he's doing, and we we started. We got. Oh, very quickly! Almost said we very quickly got intimate, and that's not what I meant. Uh, but very deep into the details, X's and O's. <laughs> uh I'm glad because that you rephrase. Yeah, that. I, I uh, caught myself there. It, and even uh, though
2: I would take a hug right now,
1: yeah, I bet <laughs> you would. Yeah, but there, this is—I don't know if people have seen how wide this desk is to accommodate up to, well, four people. Yes, on a mic and. uh but I always I, I was thinking about you last night because mm. I went straight to the fourth and one call by the Chiefs and you know what a great call to put Mahomes in basically run pass option but it's it's more it looks more like old school option football and and Bosa turning around as, as Mahomes picked up the first down with his arms out I noticed that immediately like hey where's everybody else
2: yes mm. I I told. John, when he walked in, Colby, that in terms of just sports hurt, I get like where where the game's at in magnitude of life and the importance and stuff like that. Sports hurt though, might as well consider me Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom because they just reached right into the middle of my heart and just squeezed it right in front of me as the blood's just dripping down the <laughs> arm of Andy Reid and Patrick <laughs> Mahomes right now. That's uh, that's where I'm at. Wow. Yeah, I know. But don't cry for me, Argentina. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. It's a new the, the draft will be here soon and uh what am I talking about? I'll never forget that well, loss l- last night. L- l- Let me
1: ask you this, because I don't wanna I don't wanna pile in the potential bad feeling here, but the story that came out because I I didn't have this Oh my gosh, I can't believe that kind of moment. But when it, it came out about some of the Niners saying they didn't know the
2: overtime rules, That's, how how do you want to refer to that? I I said earlier that might be like a red herring. Like I, I, yeah, none of that matters to me. None of that matters. I don't have a problem with him taking the ball first because the idea there is that you you take it to see what you got left. But I can I can sit here and tell you that. Would I have been comfortable with the defense going right back out there after they had just given up a massive drive to Mahomes to go no, right back out not. there and try to do it again? No. They were well-rested, and the Niners still put points on the board. They kicked a field goal and gave their defense eight minutes of rest, which was enough. And considering the way that they had played even up to that, I get it, the the idea that Mahomes is inevitable. But at some point, you have to rely on a group that was showing a resemblance to what they looked like through the first eight weeks of the season. So I, I think the not knowing of the rules. You also who didn't know the rules that no one's bringing up right now? McCall Hard- Hardman. Hardman, who caught yeah. the game winner. He's yeah. like, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. No one's bringing that up. Yeah. Okay, I don't you think I care if if, if juice didn't know what the overtime rules were? No, is juice check going to be the one to make the decision to to take the ball or defer? No, he's not. It's the head coach's responsibility. That's what he went with, so be it.
0: it, it also, so, if the other team scores, guess what happens? It becomes sudden death. And if you if you get the ball first and then the other team matches you, then you get the ball with the game on the line. All sure.
2: anyone would have been able to talk about anyway if Kansas City had got the ball first and went down and scored, everyone would have been like, oh my gosh, you're going to give the ball to Brock Purdy in that moment where he's got the weight of the world on him, down seven, and he he has to go score? Like, we would have crafted arguments either way about whether that was a good decision or a bad decision. At some point, you just got to say, he's the CEO, he made a decision, and they still got points. They just didn't get a stop. That's football
1: football is as much or more than any other sport guys doing their job and not trying to do somebody else's job you hear that all the time like defensive players if you're struggling on defense then guys will have to fight inevitably the fight the uh, the urge to try to go do more than they're supposed to do on any one given play and that's when you get into trouble mm-hmm. so were they or were they not doing their jobs that's really the key and i'm 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 almost went craig day on you and said i'm in total agreement with you <laughs> but i am i you know it's uh, it's not a word by the way there's uh, not a
2: defined rule in that moment that says you take it or you kick it either no, way now, no in the old version of the playoffs i would listen to that argument like every day but in this new version okay he took the ball yeah they were gassed defensively yeah i mean and i it,
0: still think you take it
1: sure sure and i and i uh I think look the Chris Jones had an impact on that game, yes, he did. Patrick Mahomes had an impact on that game, yeah, Kelsey did too, okay, sometimes it just comes down to making one or two more plays than the other team, and that's pretty much what happened. I mean, if you wanted to and I know you you've, you've uh, we can we can obviously talk about something else if you'd like, Bob. We don't have to belabor this. I mean, we got to get to bed at some point, yeah. I know. But but uh, you know, I guess the thing you, you could be as upset about as anything else is that your lead w- wasn't more than ten to three at half.
2: That's hour. that's the thing that I think makes it hurt as much as anything because it was there for the taking. They outplayed them the majority of the night. The defense looked how it looked in the early portion of the season. The first nine possessions from Kansas City was a field goal, and you got one touchdown on a short field that's 16 yards. If you would have given me that, hey, here's what the first nine possessions of the KC offense look like, I would have said, I'll take that every day of the week, and they're going to be raising a Lombardi like the Niners. Mm-hmm. It, and it it didn't work out that way. It didn't. But they had the chance to give themselves some cushion and – just couldn't get it done period end of story and that right there is the difference you can't what i say earlier colby you can't leave steph wide open four three down by two with one second left you can't have a a two-stroke lead over tiger on a sunday in a masters because it's just like you know what the inevitable is right in a moment like that you have to give yourself some cushion in mm-hmm. san francisco couldn't not that I'm bitter or anything at all. Uh you want to change your to Bedlam some of your uh some of your thoughts sure. on what went down over the weekend at Times. Um, not the most aesthetically appeasing game that we have seen at Times, but uh still Bedlam and I I thought it was weird like going into it there wasn't a whole lot of conversation that was kind of surrounding the game itself, but what what were your ultimate thoughts? coming out of there with a four-point loss? Uh,
1: Yeah, it was ugly for a long time. (laughs) I mean, you're OSU and you're shooting like 22% from the field and you're still in the game at halftime. And you're Oklahoma and you're kicking the ball all over the place. You know, OSU's defense had a little something to do with it, but there were as many unforced turnovers as there were ones because of great defense. But, uh, you know, from an OSU perspective, opportunity lost, and another late-game situation where you did not execute on the offensive end the way you needed to to give yourself the best chance to win. Uh, Keon Williams, double-double, 12 points, 10 rebounds, but he's not the guy you want taking a three early in the shot clock in a tie ball game with three minutes to go. Um, You want him doing what he did a little bit later in the game, which was slash his way to the basket to make it a one-point game again. Um, but I, I will say this: that you know, if there's some out there that because you, you you look at the standings, there's no getting around it. OSU's in last place in the Big Twelve, game behind West Virginia. And you, a lot of people might think, well, they're you know they're, they're packing it in. Now would be the time when a team would pack it in. Well, they obviously didn't because despite shooting 31 percent or 32 percent or whatever it was, you kept fighting. And a lot of these guys had not been in a Bedlam game before, didn't really understand the magnitude, although they have been coached up by Coach Boynton and, and some of the guys who have played in it. And you never got away from trying to get to the rim to score instead of trying to settle for threes when you know how good Oklahoma's defense against the three has been. And despite the fact that Oklahoma blocked seven shots in the first half, you you stayed aggressive trying to get to the rim. So all those things were good, but the late game execution again really bit you. And on Oklahoma's side, you know, Dave made the, uh, Hunziker made the, made the point on the air that it looked like Oklahoma was playing tight, like they knew they were the favorites and they couldn't let this one get away. And that would explain some of the turnovers and then, you know, some of the over-exuberance would be an understated way of putting it, that drew the three technical fouls and then the, the flagrant on Hughley. I mean, it got a little chippy there, and there was a lot of chirping going on for a while. I have no idea what Gary Maxwell really thought that Sam Godwin was doing on the bench when he teed up Sam for his fifth foul. I've never seen a guy foul out from the bench, for starters. <laughs> but, you know, Godwin may have waved a towel or or, or whatever. But it was, the the one thing that is common, the common thread in all these Bedlam things, was it was, at some point, these games are really grinders, you know? And that one was about as much of a grinder as you're going to get.
0: I saw a lot of tweets uh, that basically all said some version of the irony of of the amount of three-pointers this team takes, but that, that last shot with, I guess, was it five seconds mm-hmm. that Small took down three? Um, you know, the, the irony of, of that being your shot down three was, I, I think, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way.
1: Well, and I asked Mike Boynton about it afterward, too, because it is this, the whole thing develops in the blink of an eye. I mean, he's expecting to be fouled in the backcourt. Oklahoma was trying to foul him in the backcourt. According to Boynton, he said he was fouled. No whistle. So now he's broken up court, and I think that Javon, for as good as he's been and as smart as he a basketball player as he is, just forgot the situation for a moment. Because that had pull-up three on the run. Can you stop yourself, your momentum enough to give yourself a good chance to shoot it? And if there was a defender chasing him, could that defender stop if he was going to try to challenge him, knowing a three-pointer would have tied it? It just happened so quickly that Dave and I looked at each other like, oh, man, you had an open look potentially from three. I mean, with the your best, most clutch shooter on the floor with the ball in his hands. That one, uh, yeah, that, that one was a little bit of a head scratcher. But listen, you're not even in that situation if Javon Small hadn't played as well as he played previously.
2: That's what I was going to say is like... <sighs> no one will uh no one takes any issue with that thing ended on that but to put all of that on him at all i think that that's the wrong way to to look at that with what you just said considering how he's played and then also what he's kind of developed into here as of late for oklahoma state i think he went through
1: early in the big 12 season you know he had to experience it firsthand what defenses were going to do to him and i think it kind of knocked him for a bit of a loop but since he has made the adjustments um he has he has been pretty good he really has and you know he was in attack mode he was taking what the defense gives him he was drawing that double team back away from the basket and still finding open men uh it was just up to teammates too as to whether they were going to make the shot or not on saturday um but he's come out of this He's frustrated, yes, just like they all are from another loss. But I also think that he, it, after when he started coming out of that stretch from the beginning of conference play, I think he's re engaged to where he understands this. You know, I'm not going to allow myself, and I'm going to try to help my teammates not to allow just kind of just a waltz off and, you know, bag it for the rest of the year.
0: Is there is there some sort of excitement that they're able to run that one back here before long and and potentially try and get it back as close as that thing was on the road?
1: I th- I think so yes because uh, I talked to a couple of the guys afterwards um, you know John Michael Wright's one of them that you know he's he's still completely engaged in this deal and again something we said last week when those two guys Small and Wright are your leaders really they uh, when they are still locked in then everybody better step in uh, behind them and I think that's that's a very good thing and I think that yeah if they just wanna look at it statistically they see how poorly they shot it they saw some ways that they affected Oklahoma and they saw how they were able to turn them over some too and um, and they, they said well we got we got them back on our home floor in a week and a half, yeah. Let's let's go see what happens. I I, I do think that there is some encouragement and excitement about um, playing them again. Now, the, the, you're not going to be able to survive a thirty point, a thirty percent shooting night in your own building, and Oklahoma probably won't turn it over as much as they have. But um, yeah, I think they're looking forward to it.
2: What is the plan? It, it may be too early to ask that, even though I mean it's just twelve days away from this happening, but. I know that both coaches have said, hey, we kind of like to do this. It's much more flexibility on the football side for them to be able to do this. There's still questions about where? Do we split it every year? Do we just meet in the middle somewhere and go? As much as I sit here and say I think it would be awesome to have one at the BOK Center, I think if you do that, I think you do that on a rotation basis because I think to take this game completely away from – Stillwater and from norman to me that's wrong like i I still want to see it on on the home floor so maybe if there's some sort of rotation okay but this game saturday there's been a lot that's been going on you're playing at super bowl weekend the passing of toby keith like everything wrapped into it so i think it was taking a lot of oxygen out of it but what is what's kind of the approach for 12 days from now from the oklahoma state perspective as in we don't really know what the future is like. We're open to this, but but we don't know. Right. Well, I mean, there's. it'll be part of the pregame
1: speech for sure that Mike Boynton's probably going to tell it. Part of what he's probably going to tell his team is, guys, we may play them again. We may not. You know how much this means to our fans. Let's go get the last one that we know we're going to play for now. I mean, outside of a Big 12 tournament like last year. So I think that's, that's part of it. Now, Mike Boynton and Porter Moser are, are pretty good friends and they are you know they're open to doing it my guess is is that it wouldn't happen next season but maybe the season after that and if you need some sort of um, example of how it can work between rivals at a big level just look at Kentucky and Louisville and how yeah. how often they've played each other and that's been home and home and mm-hmm. it's been once a year it's been like in early december or whatever it's been and there's plenty of hatred between those two and yet they still go ahead and do it even though they're in two different conferences.
0: It's just so much more doable in in hoops right?
1: Yes it is yes it is and I don't think you play more than one in your non-conference because you know especially when you gear up for a lengthy and you know difficult conference schedule you you craft your non-conference based on what you think you, t- you have with your team each
2: year. And
1: so that's why a lot of times you don't see those non-conference schedules come out until July or
2: August. You know what I'm at least happy about, and maybe this is different behind the scenes, but at least outwardly, um, if either side wanted to, and both sides have kind of reacted in their own way to how this came to pass, at least we have open-minded people on the basketball side because if word behind the scenes was, no way no we're we're bitter like the fans are the ones to suffer from that at least both sides and both coaches they they could be just i i believe both of them when they say this um and it seems like that at least the athletic directors are are open to the possibility as well on the basketball side but um, they're We've known rivals before that might have been no way we're not doing that at all. There's a pretty good example of one that's south of here with Austin and College Station about stuff like that happen unless they have to. So it, at least there's that as boy that's looking on the positive side of things right now instead of the negative.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, they, they have said that. I mean, you know, they... They say, well, we'll see, is part of it, which is a great way to, you know. I mean, it's, but it's also the honest. Sounds like what I say to my daughter. Well, we'll see. Oh, boy. How many times <laughs> have I said that? And then the girls go talk to mom, and then they come back and they say, Mom says you're Switzerland, daddy. So, but, uh, but, but it's actually, it's the accurate thing now because you just don't know what, and especially in basketball. Your team from year to year, your roster makeup from year to year, you don't really know. It's, it's not like it used to be. I mean, no. you could have five new guys that are your main contributors next year. And uh, so, so you kind of wait to see how things are going to shake out before you commit, especially to something like that. But I do think they'll get it done. It just probably won't be next year. That's just my guess. I don't. I haven't heard anything.
0: Before we let you go, I just got to ask, I mean, are, are you, uh, you got any big plans this week with no, uh, midweek game?
1: Well, I mean, it's Valentine's week, isn't it? I, I better have big plans, especially if my wife's listening. Yes, honey, we're going to go to dinner. I have flowers and, uh, Promise not to talk about golf.
2: John's going to go home and go, you know, it is Valentine's Day, but I tell you, this is the first time the Indiana State's been ranked again in basketball since the Larry Bird yeah. day, so we're going to stay here and watch. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're sitting down to this beautiful dinner, and I'll say, God, can you believe what's happened to Neymar? Yeah. How about, J- how about Josh Schertz and the job that he's done at Indiana State? Let me tell you about this. God, man,
1: Jacksonville can't seem to get a call, honey. I, I'm, I'm, let's talk conspiracy. Oh, no. Oh,
0: I love it. John, we will catch up again tomorrow, my friend. Uh, Glad you had a good weekend and always good to catch up on a Monday.
1: Sounds great, fellas.
0: That is John Holcomb joining us via the Blitz Hotline. I'm Colby Daniels, along with Jeremy Poplin and Scott File in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And Dusty Dvorak is next here on the Blitz.